This show is supported by you. Stick around for the Edberg to hear more. This is Kapago for February 2nd, 2024. Happy anniversary. Keep up Yay. to date with the important happenings in the Go community in 15 minutes per week. I'm Shai Nechmad. And I'm Jonathan Hall. It's been a year. It has. So actually, I'm looking. Our first episode came out January 23. Yeah, but I didn't so want to celebrate the anniversary with Yarden. I wanted to wait for you. Yeah, yeah. So uh, it's been like a year and a, a week and a half. So yay. Thanks for supporting the show. Thanks for listening. When we started, I don't think either of us had any idea that we would be going this long. I'm glad that we are. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. I have a problem. You just said it's been, and immediately I've been like, it's been one week since you looked. <laughs> okay, so it's been one week since we talked about Go News. Let's talk about been. some Go News. Let's do it. So first off, a proposal that you talked about in my absence a couple weeks ago when Yarden was here. Thanks, Yarden, for stepping in for me. Uh, you talked about the proposal to add the dash JSON flag to the go build command. And you talked about all the reasons that could be useful. That's been accepted. So That's great. For all the JSON fans out there, get excited. Your JSON flag is coming to the go build command. I don't know if there are JSON fans as much as we have all become JSON sufferers in the yeah. same way. <laughs> We're just like, this is the best we can do. Anybody who's used YAML might be a JSON fan. Yeah, that's for sure. I don't know how long ago you wrote XSLT queries to deal with XML files, but that's <laughs> someone who did that using C Sharp, which we complained about before starting the recording. Yeah, it's not good. And the JSON flag for GoBuild is good. More support for tooling is great. So now you can integrate it in your CI pipelines and sort of get these logs directly into your structured logging thing and everything should work fine. It had time for comments. Now it's accepted. And again, I think it's a good chance to jump in on implementation because that's a pretty fun feature. There's already a change list. They need some more tests. They could use some more documentation. There's some low-hanging fruits there if you want to jump on the open source bandwagon. Awesome. Okay, so let's talk about a declined proposal. Yeah, we don't do a lot of that, so it's good to get a few of those in there. Yeah, actually, we have two uh, in line. And the third one, which I really hope will become declined, so <laughs> we, we can talk about that. But what do you think should happen if I do append to nil? I think the universe should implode. So if you try to, you can jump on the Go playground and do that right now, right? But if you try to append anything to nil, it must be a slice. Append gets a slice and an argument. And nil is not a slice. The proposal was allow appending of nil slice if you have more than a single argument. It's fun to look at the votes, uh, the emojis, emoji reactions, which we'll get back to, funnily enough. Uh, <laughs> it's fun to look at the emoji reactions on GitHub. It's a perfectly balanced uh, plus eight, minus eight uh, on the proposal. It, the key points, there's, there's more depth to the thread if you can use append to a nil to copy a slice, which is sort of weird syntax. And there's some generics there sprinkled in for good measure to make it even more confusing. But since we already have clone and Go is all about one way to do things, after a pretty long discussion and you know going through the code and whatever, they found that every single usage of it could be replaced with slices.clone. So they want to remove the complications from append and keep it uh, simple. So it's, again, a very pragmatic approach. Let's look at all the actual usages in, in real code. 
and it's been a likely decline and now it's declined. So if you need to copy a slice, don't go for anything confusing. Slices.clone is the way to go. I have been using the slices package a lot lately on the two code bases I'm working on. And I, I find that I, I, I'm no longer a generics hater. I still think it's easily overused, but I at least like it in that package a lot. Ooh. So I, I think I know where your question's going. I find myself using slices.contains a lot to replace a bunch of really verbose for loops. And I love the type checking that it gives you that uh, you don't have. Like there's, there's some, there are some libraries out there that do some of the same things with, with uh, reflection. But then you have to do type assertions back to your original type and so on. And if you get it wrong, you have a potential runtime panic. So I love the type safety that you get with generics that lets you do things that otherwise required reflection. So that's where I like, I like the use of generics. The thing I'm worried about is if you rewrite it without generics, would you need reflection? You know what I mean? If yes, then probably you want the generics option. But if it, not, yeah, it depends. you probably I, just overused it. In some cases, I rewrite the, the code to use neither reflection nor generics, if that's possible. <laughs> well, easy for us. Uh, slices package is not optional. It's part of the standard library. You use yeah. uh, Go Runtime, then you use it. And unless you plan to fork, uh, go into a non, non-generic option, then you should learn how to use it. Because it's part of the standard library and probably any code base that you're going to walk into is going to have that pop up. We have another decline proposal we want to talk about, this time about linters, which you love so much. Yeah, so this one's about GoVet. And the proposal was to make GoVet, which is the official, the only technically official uh, linter for Go, make it warn if you tried to call the recover function outside of a deferred function. So a refresher, or maybe if you're new to Go, this is a first-time primer on the topic. But if you panic in Go, that causes your program to, to just stop running, right? Unless you also recover that panic. And to recover the panic, you have to do it in a deferred function. I won't go into the details here um, because you can learn about that many other places. The point of the proposal is, what if you call recover in a non-deferred function? Uh, that's, that's wrong. It's, it's objectively wrong. It's not like it's useful in some rare cases. It's never useful. It never does anything if you do that. So the idea was, let's make GoVet complain if you do that. This proposal has been declined. Can you imagine why? Maybe it's hard to implement or... There are cases that in which is useful, and your uh, assertion that it's never useful is uh... <laughs> is fallacious. Yeah. So now it, you're very close. Uh, it's it's hard to implement. It's actually hard to detect when it's wrong, except at runtime. And by then, it's too late for the linter to do anything. And the reason is because you can have a function that doesn't have a defer, but it calls recover. But that function itself could be deferred. Oh. And that's a pattern I use. Fairly commonly, oh, if I if I have a defer some defer logic, so recovery logic, I need to do yeah, you extract it to a, to a function, right? Exactly, and then I just call defer foo funk or whatever sixteen different places, and they all call the same thing. Wait, but so, if they're uh, far from each other, they're still like the defer statement still is written somewhere, right? It's written somewhere, but so yeah, this goes back to then you know is is hard to detect. So you'd have to do some pretty deep analysis to determine if every function that calls recover is only ever called from a deferred function or from a function that itself is deferred or so, you know, it could be several layers deep. Well, what I'm imagining, though, is that with pen and paper and enough time, I could do it. I'm wondering if there are cases that I'm not thinking about, like dynamic functions or conditional defers or something like that, in which you yeah. it's, it's ambiguous, like you really couldn't tell until runtime. For example, I imagine like a debug you know, if a debug environment variable is true, 
then you don't defer closing the connection because you want to keep it open, you know, for like debugging, even if the process closes or blah, 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 something like that. You don't want to kill the DB. Yeah. So you wouldn't be able to tell, right? It's if defer, else don't defer. Or, right. And it's going to be hard to track. But I think the only two cases I can think of where it would be impossible to check are if you're building a library that exposes a function that's meant to be deferred. I don't know why you would do that. Maybe if you're building some middleware for recovery or something, but it would be pretty rare. And the other would be, like you said, some sort of dynamic reflection-based stuff, which is also rare, which leads to the other point that they made in the comment thread, which is that there, it's not actually any evidence that this is a, a, a large problem. Yeah, like recover is not a thing I, I write ever, basically, in Go code. So I would probably forget to do it. Like there's more chances of me forgetting to call uh, recover in a deferred thing instead of uh, the other way around. Mm-hmm. And that and that led to some, to my learning for the for the week. The the one new thing I learned about Go this week is that GoVet has a strict definition of the frequency requirement to be for a, a rule to be included in GoVet. And there's a link to it from the the issue uh, tracker. But basically, it says Vet is run every day by many programmers, often as part of every compilation or submission. The cost of execution time is considerable, especially in aggregate. So checks must be likely enough to find real problems. They are worth the overhead of added check. And there's more to it, but that's you know that, that's the principle, and they they didn't have the evidence to support that. That's not saying it's not true. Maybe well, someone can find the evidence later. If you really think this is a problem, go find that evidence and, and reopen the issue or open a new issue, and, and we could get it. I love that. There's recently LinkedIn posted a new uh, developer productivity and happiness uh, guidelines. They have a team similar to mine at Orca that does uh, like developer tooling, developer productivity engineering enablement, blah, 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 platform engineering, all these names of, uh, you know, taking care of the tooling infra. And one of the metrics that they recommend teams like that to measure is DBT, developer build time. How long do developers at your company wait for their build tools to happen and then to run, you know? And if you can cut one minute off a CI pipeline or one second off a CI pipeline by not including a check in GoVet uh, and, you know, you run that, let's say, 10 times a day because you push to the CI 10 times a day or maybe GoVet is even pre-commit for you and you have uh, a thousand developers, that adds up really, really quickly. So I enjoy the fact that they want things to be fast in GoVet. I'm not sure it justifies not including it in any linter. Like I assume, you know, if you put it in an optional linter in Golang CI lint or something like that, something you run every nightly, let's say, and not uh, as part of pre-commit or you know, in CI, in offline, in a non-blacking, lagging indicator kind of way, that could be useful. Yeah. But if it's so hard to implement, then maybe it's not useful anyway. So we have a new proposal that I think you wanted accepted and I wanted declined. <laughs> so uh, sharpen your sword. Obligatory every episode um, thing where we say we won't talk about 122 and we talk about something from 122. So you don't want to talk about 122 things yet until it comes out, hopefully next week. But this proposal is about uh, Mux Patterns, which is one of the biggest features in uh, 122. A quick refresher, the new like routes and handlers in the standard library, you don't have to get any like framework to do that, include the HTTP verb. So you have get my route and get and post my route and delete my route, et cetera, et cetera. The proposal from uh, Evan Tan from Santa Monica, wants spaces in between the verb and the URL. I think this is... An arbitrary number of spaces. Yeah. The reasoning, if you could really visualize it, even though this is a podcast. Imagine the words get, post, and delete in all capital letters, like in new lines, right? And then all the routes begin in the same... They begin like at the eighth 
character because you want them all to line up nicely. So you have to have a lot of white space between the get and the URL and very little white space between delete and the URL. I hope you can visualize that in the in the podcast. If not, they just want to have a lot of spaces between the verb and the URL. And I hate it. I can't explain why. I just wanted to have one space because I want one strict way to do things. But, you know, in the discussion here, there are some other opinions, such as yourself, I think. Well, I don't have a strong opinion. I'm, I'm not voting up or down this proposal. Um, I, I don't really care. The, the alignment argument is weak, in my opinion. It's a kind of nice thing, but it's not a great thing. But I, I do like the discussion on it. I, I like that this is such a div- divisive proposal. That's the main reason I think it's interesting to talk about. So the, the main argument that I see presented for multiple spaces is that's what the HTTP protocol itself allows. Uh, HTTP allows you to do get space, 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 slash, space, 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 space HTTP slash 1.1, for example. So there's a difference between the RFC, which says, you know, a request line has a metal token, a single space, and the request target, and then another space, and then the protocol, between that and many implementations that actually do allow it. Well, yeah, although the, the spec apparently also allows new lines in that first line. So the way I understand that is you could have get new line slash new line HTTP or something like that, I guess. I think it's limited to one new line because two new lines is the content, right, in HTTP. But I don't know. I don't like it just because of these questions and the value. Like this introduces ambiguity questions, edge cases, and, you know, minimum is like it introduces a place where you could argue about style. Like I imagine this discussion popping up in code review where someone puts a lot of white space and like some other smart person is like, no. Actually, in HTTP, it's uh, one space. Look at the spec, and they have all this discussion. We could just avoid it. And if you want your routes to line up anyway, you should put the route thing in a separate variable because you want to reuse it. You want to reuse it in your client libraries. You want to reuse it in testing. There's no way you're actually going to use it in a single string ever, right? When the moment your program is more than a super simple HTTP server, you're going to want to extract the routes to separate variables so you could use them, for example, when testing your uh, HTTP server. So More constants. That would be even better. Yeah. Even in the example Evan gives, it's like get my route, post my route, delete my route. Let's put the spaces aside for a second. If these are actually supposed to be the same route, I would do like code review and I would be like, please extract this to one constant because if you change <laughs> one route, you'll forget to change the others. Yeah. And I, I guess the most important part here is I want auto-generated the code to be very consistent and allowing different spaces for like this leaves ambiguity for the person who's going to implement the open API generator for this, you know, go 122 mux uh, server, uh, which I don't want. I want that code to be super, super, super samey across uh, different pull requests because I want differences. I don't want lines that aren't related to the thing I'm auto-generating to change because of something else that makes code review and everything a lot harder. You know what I mean? I add a delete and suddenly I need to update my get uh, line. So I'm very much against it. I am going to even post a comment against it, and I hope okay. uh, it will get declined. <laughs> but Evan, we love you. It's nothing personal, Evan Tan from uh, Thankful and Gladly and Santa Monica. We really appreciate your discussion and contribution to the Go world. Just not this one. <laughs> well, you've, you've, you've almost convinced me, but I'm going to leave a comment in favor of it just to spite you. I'm kidding. <laughs> okay, I'm going to be like, this is the official position of the Kappa Go show and all its listeners. <laughs> We will fork the language if this gets accepted. <laughs> All right. Uh, so um, 
tabs versus uh, spaces, a new, a new war in uh, programming, apparently. Uh, so that's it for proposals this week. Uh, there are two releases we want to discuss as well. Yeah, let's breeze, let's breeze through these. We're running a little bit late. So the first one, one I'm excited about, because as you mentioned earlier, I love linters. This isn't really a linter, but a formatter. GoFumpt, G-O-F-U-M-P-T, not G-O-F-M-T. Don't be confused, GoFumpt versus GoFumpt. Uh, 0.6 was just released. Includes a couple bug fixes and uh, nothing really major, but I'm, I'm always happy to see new releases. That means it's being actively maintained. And it means that my pull request against the project is that much closer to being accepted. I did it, uh, some updates on it over the week. Uh, so hopefully that'll be in the next version whenever that comes out. Good luck. I really hope your code will get into uh, GoFump because we use GoFump at my company. I could be like, oh, we run Jonathan's code. <laughs> and people could be like, who's Jonathan? And I'm like, yeah. oh, you haven't listened to Kappa Go yet? <laughs> Uh, yeah, one more release we want to go through. Uh, if you use Elasticsearch and Go, um, their new release from two weeks ago includes OpenTelemetry integration, um, which if you use Go and Elasticsearch, you probably know what it means and you don't mean, need me to say anything else. Also, it now requires uh, Go version 1.20, uh, which is not that big of an ask anyway. You should be prepping for 1.22 at the point. Uh, at this point in time. And if you don't use uh, Go and Elasticsearch uh, in production and you don't need OpenTelemetry integration, then, uh, yeah, you're just zoned out. And hey, welcome back. We're going to talk about some other stuff as well. Uh, I'm just happy to see the client uh, for, you know, Go getting first-class citizenship for Elasticsearch integration because it's not that obvious. Elastic is not Go under the hood. They don't really have to do it, uh, but they are really maintaining it well. I've used it in production uh, twice already. And it's uh, Go is usually not the language you would think of if you need to implement like a uh, something that does data and big data. We talked about it with Miki a little bit, but just as a wrapper around Elasticsearch, um, it works really well, right? You have HTTP backend and Elasticsearch as your data store, and if that fits well for you, you could just use Go and not even worry about it. Cool. And one uh, final community thing we want to mention: uh, Are you familiar with Byte Byte Go? No, I'm not. Well, that's a lie. I wasn't until you mentioned it to me before we started recording. <laughs> yeah. So uh, they're not actually about Go. It's some sort of architect prep newsletter thing. Uh, when I was interviewing for architect roles, I signed up for the newsletter and I found some useful stuff in there. They produced really high quality content. Uh, and they just mentioned Go in one of their YouTube videos. So I thought it was, it's a good place to shout them out. Also, another uh, content creator with Go in their name. So, of course, we have to support that. Mm-hmm. So it's a video about how Hatajar with, a, I think it's some Disney Plus live sports thing, sort of akin to Twitch. All right. Um, how they process all the emojis when you have like a sports game going on and many people are responding in real time and like sharing their emotions. So they have this whole pipeline where they like process their responses and put them on the screen and count them uh, in real time. Uh, and they sort of present the architecture and they, every part of the architecture uses the correct, quote unquote, correct uh, technology for that part of the stack. So you have Kafka for message processing, uh, you have Python for data processing, and you want to guess what Go goes for? Tell me. HTTP servers, uh, as the, because that's the, the what the language is for, and you know they, they really really like uh, the users really like putting emojis. I can imagine you know watching like a finals of the cricket match or something, and so you're putting a yawning emoji. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry to the cricket fans out there. I just had to make a joke. <laughs> um, 
I like I'm I don't know I follow NBA and I can really imagine how well I used to follow NBA I don't anymore in Israel it's really hard because it's four in the morning it's actually the yawning emoji because because of the time difference um, <laughs> but they really reduced uh, the latency from six seconds on average to two seconds on average uh-huh. uh, the availability from you know they sometimes had outages to a hundred percent out uptime since they set up this system which is impressive. Nice. Uh, and they cut costs by 85%. And, you know, the cost was like $1,500 per match during World Cup. So that uh-huh. adds up. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, go uh, profitable for emojis, apparently. Awesome. <laughs> I'll put the article as well. If you don't like video content, I totally get it. Um, there's a Medium article as well. So we'll put both links and you can uh, choose whatever, uh, if you want to follow up on that, uh, whichever format you prefer. That does it for this week. Thanks all for listening. This program is sponsored by listeners like you. Thanks to all of our Patreon supporters who are helping to make this show possible and to not burn a huge hole in our personal pockets. This is an expensive hobby to maintain, so thanks to everybody who helps. We have a new Patreon member this week who we'll shout out in just a moment. Uh, If you're interested in becoming a Patreon member or talking to us or looking at our ridiculous faces or anything like that, head over to cupago.dev. You can find all the links to everything relevant about the show, including all the show notes for all the articles and videos we mentioned in in each episode. And all past episodes, a whole one year of them. Exactly. Yes. You can also chat to us in more real time if you want to over on the Cupago Slack channel, which is hosted by the Gopher Slack. Uh, There should be a link to that on our website as well if you want to join that uh, we have a pretty active community and it's growing we have people joining every week and uh, sharing articles and advice and talking about go related things and being silly sometimes so come join us there on the topic of our slack channel this week we're going to be asking you our listeners what you think about the show format in particular we find that every week we struggle to keep it under 15 minutes in fact almost never do we actually hit the 15 minute mark so we're wondering should we try should we try harder is 15 minutes important to you? Uh, would longer be better? Would 20 minutes or 30 minutes or, or three hours be better for you? Uh, <laughs> three hours could be good. <laughs> Actually, if the show would be three hours, we would probably hand in some pull requests live during the show. Yes. Know, like read the, po- <laughs> with the program. No, I think like that. No, I think like that. Both of us opening proposals. There you go. <laughs> it's the live go proposal show. <laughs> Anyway, we're, we're really interested to hear from you uh, what format you think is best. Uh, and, you know, it, it doesn't have to just be a matter of minutes. We've also considered other options, like maybe we stick to hard news for the first 10 minutes and then softer community-related news for another 10 minutes or whatever. We want to hear from you what is best for you, for your commute, for your listening habits, um, and we'll try to respond accordingly and, and come up with a format that works for us and for the listeners. So we're going to put a poll up on Slack, and you could just uh, respond. If you're not in the Slack community, it's a good chance to join. Definitely is. Before we thank our Patreon, uh, I want to shout out a new book. It's not strictly Go, so he kept it for the ad break. Uh, it's called Getting Things Done by Omer Rosenbaum, my a friend. A visual and practical guide to get. Nice. So you're a book aficionado. You read a lot of technical books. Yeah. What do you think about when I, you know, I'm, I'm just like holding it up to the camera. Yeah. Judge it by its cover. What do you think? Uh, <laughs> I know you're not supposed to do that. but Yeah. It has a nice cover. I like that shade of blue. <laughs> it's free Code Camp uh, Press, which is... Okay. Uh, I don't know, know that uh, publisher very well, so I'm, I don't have an opinion based on that. Uh, they're reputable, I would say. Okay. They have some cool right. stuff. 
And just flipping through the book, most pages look like that. You have okay. uh, a bunch of terminal windows showing you commands, and you have a bunch of drawings showing you... Uh, I'm a little surprised to see color there. Like, it's mostly black and white, and then there's a little bit of... That's pink or something there, right? Yeah, so it's a colored, uh, like, syntax-highlighted uh, terminal. It's actually screenshots okay. of a terminal. Okay. And you yeah, have some... Uh, several colors there. Yeah, it's, it's, it's very colorful. It is visual, like, like it says on the cover. I think there are three types of developers, right? The ones that don't just don't care about source control. It's just something that gets in the way. It's not a tool. They just want to push their code. They don't care. So that's one type. This book is probably not for you. On the <laughs> other uh, the end of the spectrum are people like me who nerd out about every single tool and learn too much about it. Okay. Uh, so this might be the book for you uh, if you, know, you want to get uh, super deep into uh, Git. If you're in the middle and you just want to pick a topic to get slightly better at as a software engineer, I think Git is a very, very, very safe bet. Uh, you're going to use it in every company you're going to work for. And it's always nice to be that person on the team who knows how to solve that gnarly rebase, you know, three-way merge from two different repositories and a sub-module issue. It's always nice to be that person because everybody thinks you're smart, but you're actually just moving some files around. Uh, so I can't recommend getting things done enough. Uh, we'll put a link in the show notes. This is not sponsored, by the way. Uh, Omer doesn't even know I'm doing this. Uh, I'm just recommending the book. So you ready for a hot take? Yes. All right. Uh, if you need to know all the fancy stuff with Git, which by the way, I'm, I'm, that, I'm, I'm like you. I'm the, I'm the nerd out on tools. I love Git. I think it's a really powerful tool and I, I know way too much about it. On the other hand, in my other life that doesn't talk about Go, that talks about CICD and stuff like that, and trunk-based development, in that life, uh, if you need to know a lot about Git, your branching strategy is probably too complicated. That's my hot take. Microphone sizzling. (laughs) (laughs) And on that note, I think we're done. Uh, We just need to thank our new Patreon. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't even know the name. This is a surprise for me, too. Thanks a lot to our newest Patreon, Just Helberg. I really hope I I picked the correct uh, pronunciation. And thanks a lot to all our patrons. We're not going to mention every single one every episode because that's a bit too much. Um, but we do have 11 members, 10 of them paid, uh, which is we're like inching in on half of our limit. We have a yeah. limit on Patreon, by the way. We're not looking to make money out of this. We just want to cover the show expenses. Yeah. So we're halfway there, which is amazing. Yeah, and that's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. It's a lot of fun to see people care enough about the show to uh, pay for it. It validates the fact that this is useful. Like I was really yeah. worried that people were just nice, being nice to me about the show and <laughs> yeah. weren't actually listening. And whenever someone actually came up to me and was like, oh, I heard on your show that X, Y, Z, and it was useful. I was like really surprised. Now I feel sort of validated. So yeah, when someone tells you your three-year-old's drawing is beautiful, you're like, yeah, thanks. When they pay for that three-year-old's drawing, then you know that it's actually cool. <laughs> yeah, I, for example, when my mom told me, oh, your podcast, it's, it's so nice. I was like, yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, thanks for your money. Uh, that's uh, first and foremost. But also thanks for the feelings of validation. Uh, we don't have an interview for y'all uh, this week, but we... I hope next week we will. Um, now that I'm not traveling, we're getting back in the normal schedule. Speaking of traveling, I'm going to get in the car here in a few minutes and drive to uh, to Brussels to, to be at FOSDEM. So I hope to see some of the listeners there. Ooh, yeah, there's a lot of FOMO because people uh, talk about it in the channel a lot. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so enjoy FOSDEM. Uh, y'all enjoy uh, the rest of your weekend or week or whenever you're listening to, day and or evening. And we'll catch you all next week. Until next week, bye. 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 <laughs>